Chris Nolan is standing by. Hey, Wacky Bruce! Coming to you from an undisclosed location, this is the Bruce Exclusive. And here's your host, Bruce Nolan. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, welcome to the Bruce Exclusive. I am your host, Bruce Nolan. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Bruce Exclusive. This is a Buffalo Rumblings podcast, and we are going to do some rumbling today, ladies and gentlemen. Now, I had initially planned for this podcast and the one tomorrow to be the first in a series called Know Thy Enemy that was going to be focused exclusively, pun intended, on AFC East opponents for the Buffalo Bills in 2020. Some some scouting reports, if you will, on them. But then, then I got a direct message from someone I have a tremendously large amount of respect for. And he said to me, Bruce, I really feel like there's some questions I'd like to ask you about what you talked about on Friday. And what I talked about on Friday last week was how wins are not a quarterback stat. If you know anything about me, you will know that wins not being a quarterback stat is the totem on which the religion and the church of Bruce has been based. It is something that I feel strongly about. I think I outlined those reasons why I feel strongly about it. But if you feel strongly about it, if you believe something that assuredly, with that sort of steadfast, I don't know, zealot sort of zeal. I, I didn't have to say, I just said zeal. With that sort of zeal and religious fervor, then you should have no problem in defending it from people who might feel elsewise. So I brought along today a special guest, Mr. Joe Marino, draft analyst for the Draft Network and the host of Locked on Bills, who is going to cross-examine me with a list of questions he has concluded that are interesting to dig into and dive into my theory. He's going to try and poke some holes in me a little bit today based on the idea that wins may be more of a quarterback stat than I gave them credit for. And then tomorrow we're going to do something a little different. And next week we will get started on the Know Thy Enemy. What that means is that you all have another week to get me the hashtag almighty take on Twitter for our AFC East foes and a bonus surprise. I am here to make a big announcement today that you can also email me in the event you are listening to this and you do not have Twitter. And I know that there are some of you, a lot of you who are listening to this and do not have Twitter. You can email me your almighty takes to I am Bruce almighty at yahoo.com. Yes, I created a fake email for a fake persona. I am Bruce Almighty at yahoo.com. You can email me those almighty takes in regards to our AFC East opponents. I will give you an extra week to do it, and then we will do that next week. But for today, we are going to dive right in. Joe, first off, thank you so much for being here. Well, Bruce, let's be honest. I invited myself on your podcast to have this conversation. <laughs> I have no uh, <laughs> no reservations about making that known. And, you know, look, I mean, I think people can understand from the work that we've done together, collaborating on podcasts and the way we interact on Twitter, that we do have uh, a lot of back and forth that goes on behind the scenes. And we we message a lot frequently throughout the week. And, 
you know, we talk about the content that we're producing and bounce ideas off of each other. And you have been so excited about the quarterback wins podcast. And I was so excited to hear what you had to say. And that came from honestly a position of, yeah, I don't think wins are quarterback stat, but I think that they matter a lot. And you were, you know, so anti, you know, this is not a, that wins are not a quarterback stat. And it, it, it gave me an opportunity, Bruce, to really think about what I, where I stood on this debate or where I stood on this topic. And I, we, we had the buildup. We talked about it in generality. You know, you, you put together the podcast. I couldn't wait to listen to it. And then I listened to it and I said, I mostly like what you have to say, but I'd really like to have a follow-up discussion about this topic and uh, sort of invited myself and you, you were gracious enough to accommodate. So I, I'm looking forward to nerding out with you here, talking football, just like we have in the past, you know, not necessarily from a specific bills perspective, but we did the the pass rush versus coverage debate. Um, and uh, we, we did some debate in terms of prospects and, and those types of things uh, in our time together. And I, I think this was just the, the right next conversation for us to have uh, for the people to listen to. Well, I really appreciate you being here. You're welcome here anytime you'd like to be welcome here to talk about whatever you'd like to talk about. And uh, it, you've been gracious enough to uh, to give up some of your time and your busy schedule um, to be able to sit here and have a conversation and allow me to dig deeper into my thoughts on that. Essentially, you basically just said, hey, uh, that whole wins a quarterback stat thing, uh, would you mind doing two pods about it instead of one? I'm like, are you two pods? I do 52 pods on it. I could talk about this thing year round. So this is a, this is a win for me. So what we're going to do is I am going to turn over control of this narrative to you, counselor, who will then cross-examine me with the appropriate questions necessary to dive into it. And we will see whether or not my wins are a quarterback stat statement will hold up to intellectual scrutiny, because that's really what this is about. So without further ado, I will allow you to lead the dance. Well, thank you, Bruce. And so the first thing I want to do here is distinguish a few things that I think are important as we enter this conversation, the first thing that we've got to establish is that both Bruce and I agree that wins are not a quarterback stat. It is 100% not reasonable to think that the credit for a win can be 100% attributed to the quarterback. That's not up for debate. Neither Bruce nor I disagree with that statement. What I think we disagree on is how much credit should be attributed to a quarterback for a win. And Bruce, you said very clearly on your podcast that you believe that it's 37% impact on the quarterback for a win. And you went so far as to say that you were generous in attributing that much credit to the quarterback. Where do I stand? I don't know that I have a number that I'm willing to give you, but I think it's more than that. So much so that I actually put in our outline that I sent to you that I arguably believe it's a majority impact. And so I think that is considerably different. And so that's the first thing I wanted to distinguish. The second thing I wanted to distinguish is that I don't believe that there is any statistic in football that can be 100% attributed to any one player. Even things like yards per carry for a running back. Is yards per carry a running back stat? Yeah, but it's not 100% a running back stat because there's things that matter, right? It is, there's blocking that matters. There is 
uh, defensive alignment. There is play calling. There are things outside of the running back's control that impacts their yards per carry. Now, we can all probably agree that there is a high correlation between good running backs and high yards per carry, but it's absolutely not 100% a running back stat. I will even say that field goal percentage for a kicker is not 100% a kicker stat. There is a snap. There is a hold. There is blocking. All that impact whether or not a kicker makes a field goal or not. So right off the bat, we agree completely that wins are not 100% a quarterback stat. We disagree with how much credit should be attributed to the quarterback for wins. Bruce is at 37%. I am higher and possibly over 50%. But I enter this discussion willing to have my mind changed. Secondly, that I also agree, and I I guess I assume you do, but I'll let you answer that here in a second, that I don't think there's any statistic in football that is 100% attributed to any one player. If there is, I do not know what it is. Right. For sure. Because I agree that there's no statistic that can be 100% attributed to one player. I think that the ones that you listed are, are a wonderful example of that. Yards per carry for running backs, field goal percentage for kickers. One of the things that I think that is important to note about my argument relative to these arguments is that I think that attribution in a vacuum is different than attribution relative to other methods of measurement. And what I mean by that is attribution of a stat to a player in a vacuum is not intrinsically good or bad. It is instead relative to any other methods of measurement you might have available to you. It's a little bit like using the correct tool for the correct job. And in the absence of a better tool, then sometimes you're forced to use a tool that you know full well can't cover 100% of that player's role. So for I'll give you a great example that you used for running backs. Yards per carry is one method by which to measure running backs. However, as we've become better and better and better in the statistical world of measuring running backs, Now we have things like rushing success rate. We have rushing DVOA. We have EPA per rush. We have all these things that a lot of people would view as being a better measurement for running backs than yards per carry. So yards per carry, okay, we're going to measure running backs via yards per carry. And we know full well, like what you just said, that there is no stat that can be 100% attributed to a player. We know that. And we know that also to be true about yards per carry. The reason we historically used it is because we didn't have something better. In this case, we have some things that a lot of people think are better. I, we can have a different discussion of whether or not they actually are better, but we're not going to go down that, that rabbit hole. But with rushing success rate, with rushing DVOA, with EPA per rush, the reason that some of the advanced metric people don't use yards per carry is because they have something better. Versus the kicker argument, where the reason we use field goal percentage and exclusively field goal percentage is because, quite frankly, we don't have anything better. There is no PFF kicker grade. Those things don't exist. It's entirely a results-based position where the process is almost eliminated statistically. You cannot say, well, you know what, the kicker did everything right in that case, but, you know, the wind. You know, there's, there's not a lot of separate metrics. It really is just field goal percentage. And so we use it because we lack something better as opposed to running backs, in which case we're using it less and less as we come up with something better. Bruce, do you believe that this is a true statement? There is a high correlation between wins and quality of quarterback play. Absolutely. I believe that. All right. And now we can begin. 
All right. So the the first thing that you came out and said on your podcast and really where I think the the majority of the beginning of our conversation is going to be centered around is um is this 37%. I think that is what I am most focused on here at least to start this conversation. And your opening statement regarding, you know, debunking that wins are a quarterback stat was that quarterbacks do not have the snap to snap effect on the game that you think they do. And you went on to detail that football games are 45% offensive plays, 45% defensive plays and 10% special teams plays. And so you then went on to say, quote, that quarterbacks do not have any effect on defense. And I disagree with that statement and I'll uh, explain myself and then turn it back over to you. And the reason I disagree with that is because I do think that quarterbacks have a, a an effect on defense and that quarterbacks are absolutely critical to keeping offenses on schedule, which means creating leads, which impacts how a defensive unit plays, sustaining drives, and not putting the defense in poor situations. So sustaining drives uh, means allowing them to rest on the sideline and not putting them back on the field uh, after going quickly three and out or uh, – making mistakes with the football and putting the defense on the bad side of the field in terms of creating short fields for the opposition. And um, because of the quarterback's role on offense and how significant it is, it does dictate situations that defenses are put in and therefore do affect the defense. Okay. So, there's a reason I use the phrase snap to snap and results specifically because if we want to get into situational effects, I agree with everything you just said, but the problem comes when you start to introduce situational effects, it goes all sorts of ways. I'll give you a great example. All the stuff you just said is true. A quarterback playing poorly can impact greatly your three and out percentage as an offense and your three and out percentage has been proven to be correlative with your defensive play. We all know you and I talked about this when we talked about a punter earlier this off season, that field position, average starting field position has a significant impact. Why do I bring that up? Because if you're going to bleed in the effect that a quarterback has on the defense, you also now have to bleed in the effect that the defense has on the quarterback and you have to bleed in the effect that the special teams has on the quarterback. And you have to bleed in the effect the quarterback has on the special teams. And you have to bleed in the effect the special teams has on the defense. And you have to bleed in the effect the defense has on the special teams. And so on and so forth. Because all of this stuff is interconnected. So you can either choose to compare results or you can choose to compare situations. And I chose to do results. The snap-to-snap result of that individual play. And I concluded obviously, that a quarterback does not have an impact on the results of a play from a snap-to-snap basis if that play occurs when the quarterback is off the field. Now, the quarterback can have an impact on the situation in which the play takes place, the play environment, if you will. But that is just as true in the inverse as it is for the quarterback. As such, logically, it becomes a wash. Because, I'll give you a great example, you and I have gotten really sick of comparing the 2019 Bills to the 2018 Bears and the 2017 Jaguars. I am going to do, spoiler alert, an entire pod series on why Josh Allen isn't Mitchell Trubisky and why he isn't Blake Bortles. Not saying he's good, not saying he's bad, saying that those comparisons are lazy because they come from different places with different, different trajectories and all that stuff. 
when the 2017 Jags had their really good year, they were 12th in average start position from a drive standpoint. They bottomed out to 27th the year after. The 2018 Bears, because of their ball hawking defense, were 6th in average start position. That dropped all the way to 16th the year after. And we've established that average drive position has a very significant correlation with expected points on that drive. So if you want to talk about the effect that a quarterback has on the defense, I am willing to talk about it. And it's true. However, all that stuff bleeds into everything else. The quarterback has an effect on the defense. The defense then has an effect on the quarterback. How are you going to measure that? You don't. If you have a a special teams player or a special teams return that sets up the quarterback for a good position, that's way better than without it. Special teams, big plays can swing an entire game. We know this because of how small the margins are in the NFL for winning. So you have to make a decision when you're talking about quarterback impact, you have to decide whether or not you're going to do situation or whether or not you're going to do results. And because situationally, everything bleeds into everything else. We talk about playing complementary football. The reason we talk about that is specifically because we know it bleeds into everything else. We know offense bleeds into special teams, which bleeds into defense, which bleeds back into offense again. We know that, which is why we use the term complementary football. So you have to make a decision when you're discussing quarterback impact, whether or not you're going to use results of the play on the field, which is what I did, or whether you use situation. And if you use situation, my argument would be that defense and special teams bleed into quarterback just as much as quarterback bleeds into them. So Bruce, our object here is to determine if a how much credit a quarterback should be given for a win. And so do you think that the situational component of that matters a little bit more than maybe you gave it credit for? Because yes, when a defense is on the field, the quarterback does not play on that play and therefore does not have any impact on the results of that play. But given the overall importance to the quarterback and how you've kind of framed this into a 45-45-10 and then reducing that 45 to a 37%, do you feel like you're still comfortable with that same 37% if the results of all the situations is the win or the loss? I'm comfortable with it because I believe that the effect the quarterback has on the defense and the special teams will be washed out by the effect that the defense and special teams have on the quarterback. Okay. So my second point is very similar to my first point where you said that the quarterback has no effect on special teams. And I'll, I'll say what I have here in terms of very similar to the defensive remarks that quarterbacks do have a direct impact on the situations the special teams units are placed in, the distances of field goals, where and when punts happen, keeping the offense on schedule, moving, uh, moving the offense consistently it creates less instances where uh, there's stress put on that punter to flip the field and those types of things. I mean, I can go on and on with different situations, but again, the, the play of the quarterback um, does – uh, dictate the situations that they are put in. And, and so there's my argument for saying very similar to the defensive side of the football or defensive performance that quarterbacks do have an impact on special teams because of the situations that they can put them in. The New England Patriots beat the Buffalo Bills early in 2019 because they blocked a punt and scored a touchdown off of it. Tom Brady got credit for the win in that case. The special teams essentially gave him the win in that, in that game. That was the difference. 
between the two games. It was neck and neck and neck, and it was tightly contested. Defenses were playing their their brains out. The differing part in that game is that their special team scored and ours didn't. And so Tom Brady gets credit for that win. He shouldn't get credit for that win because the special teams arguably contributed the more definitive and more significant above average. You know, if you take a baseline performance for a quarterback and a baseline performance for special teams, the New England special teams far outperformed their baseline median than Tom Brady did. But Tom Brady's going to get credit for that. So in the same way that the quarterback play earlier in his career, Tom Brady would have set up good positions for his kicker. In this scenario, the special teams set up Tom Brady for a win. Bruce, you you make a good point there in terms of the credit for the win goes to Tom Brady and that Bill's 10 to 16 loss to the Patriots where the difference was a block punt for a touchdown. Now, could you also say that Tom Brady played to a level that was required to win that football game, right? Like he only turned the ball over once in that football game where the Bills quarterbacks combined turned it over four times. And so the while that one play was difference making, the way Tom Brady played the football game because that play happened and because they played with uh, a 13 to nothing lead after the first quarter, that it didn't put as much of an emphasis on him to do more. And I maybe maybe I I helped you make the point there, but I do think that that quarterback has it, I, I don't agree that it's all just a wash because I think the overarching importance of the quarterback has to spike it up a little bit. So that's one of my favorite my favorite points to use when I'm talking about wins not being a quarterback stat is this idea that he played well enough to win. Well, you know, he played a winning brand of football. That's one of my favorite things when I hear that. Because if you'll notice that playing a winning brand of football or playing well enough to win varies very drastically week to week in the NFL. And the reason that it varies drastically week to week is, stop me if you've heard this before, a quarterback has 37% of, of the method necessary to win. So on some games, you're going to need 300 yards from a quarterback and win. And some games, you're going to need 150 and not turn the ball over. But in that case, if what's necessary to win that game is for you to just not screw it up, then that further reinforces the wins are a quarterback stat because you were able to be carried by the remainder of your team. And if you are the vast majority of a reason why a team wins and loses games, then it's not possible for you to be carried for very long. If, if wins were a quarterback stat, then there would be zero instances of Brad Johnson's and Trent Dilfer's being carried to the Super Bowl by elite running games and, and, and defenses. Instead, there's only few of them because being a quarterback and the quarterback play is the most important part of winning, but it can simultaneously be the most important part and also a not significant enough part to be able to assign 100% of the statistic to it. Now, Bruce, I, I don't think we are debating whether or not a win is a quarterback stat so much as I think it's more than 37%. So nothing so far changes you from that 37%. Nothing so far. All right. Well, let's see if this next point will 
do anything to move the needle. You said that quarterbacks have a very little impact on running plays, to which I will respond by saying something that you frequently say, and I think it's very astute and correct, that run game success is correlative to numbers advantages. It's a math situation. When there's less guys in the box, run plays are more successful. And quarterbacks are responsible for recognizing numbers, advantages. They're responsible for recognizing leverages where uh, you're, where you may be outflanked on a certain uh, side, left or right, and getting the team into the right run plays and calling and snapping the football correctly so that those run plays are set up to be successful. And so from like a traditional run game standpoint, the quarterbacks that can do that effectively have a bigger impact on run plays than the younger quarterbacks or uh, maybe veteran quarterbacks that don't have that authority at the line of scrimmage to go up there and make a change. I do think that uh, if you can do that, you do give your run game a better chance to succeed while the only thing you're really doing is taking a snap and handing the football off. And I want to take that another step further because I think in today's NFL, these running backs or these quarterbacks have a bigger emphasis on the run game because of the read option game because of RPOs and the decisions that go into that. And then of course, carrying out your play action fakes and uh, rolling out on, on, on other situations and really carrying out fakes in general, that, that, that does lead to better success in the run game because the quarterbacks are more involved in the run game. And so, you know, if you, if you, if you were, I think you said the quarterbacks, if I'm not mistaken, was it 10% you were willing to give them for, impact on run plays, do you think maybe the modernization of the run game combined with the importance of having the right run play called to the right direction that maybe they're deserving a little bit more than that? So when I took 45% of the snap count and I divvied it up to offense and I gave 60% of that as the base, which is all the pass plays, and that's 27%. So 60% of 45% is 27%. If you were to give quarterbacks 50% of the impact on run plays, which I think we can both agree is absurd, 50% of the success of a run play we're going to give to the quarterback, that would be an extra 9% because it would be 50% of the remaining 40% of 45%. So 45% times 0.4 is 18%. Half of that would be 9%. So if we said that quarterbacks were 50% of the effect on a run game, that would be giving them 9%. Now, I will agree that quarterbacks are more impactful on run games now than they've probably ever been because of the RPO game, because of the read option, because of the ability to check into so many different things at the line, which was not super common you know, 40 years ago. I think quarterbacks have more effect on the run game now than they've ever had. And quarterbacks are also more important in general now than they've ever been in the NFL, but surely you wouldn't say they have 50% of the effect. And the reason why I was willing to add 10% is not just for wonderful round numbers. It's also because there's other things that are hard to quantify that we want to try and roll into this. But would you say, Joe, that a quarterback, would you be willing to give a quarterback 50% of the success of a run or failure of a run play? Would you be willing to put that on his shoulders? No, I don't. I don't think it's that high. I do think 
having the right run play called to the right direction. And then of course the RPO read option components. And of course, just, I mean, the bills run quarterback power sometimes. And, and of course a, a scramble that turns into a first down or, or yardage is on the quarterback. So I, I, I do think it's a sizable piece of it. I, I am absolutely not willing to say it's 50%. And so by adding 10%, what I'm doing is I'm adding over 50% of that, or you can make you think, okay, I'm I'm adding a chunk of the run game, and then I'm adding a chunk of intangibles as well on top of that. And that's how I ended up at 37% instead of, you know, 29%, which is what it probably would have been 29, 30% if I had not rounded up, been generous with it, and also rolled in some intangible, unquantifiable things that I believe have an impact on the winning and losing of a specific game. Are we still at 37% Bruce? We are. Oh, I didn't. I thought I could get like one or two out of the run. That was my favorite point to counter with or cross examine, if you will, on that, uh, that opening um, statement of quarterbacks do not have the snap to snap effect on the game that you think they do. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. All right, so I guess we can move into the, I guess, new information side of this where I'm not really picking apart anything that you said in that uh, opening argument. I want to focus on some different things here. And so when you think about quarterbacks and the differences of their skill sets and you know, you have mobile quarterbacks, you have guys that um, are pocket passers, you have size uh, components and you have quickness you just all these different types of quarterbacks. It almost leads me to believe that let's say we agree on 37%. That's the baseline, but other quarterbacks, because of what they can do, it, it can fluctuate because of the impact that they can have because of what they can and cannot do as players. And so because the quarterback skill set dictates the possibilities for the offense and it impacts the preparation component and difficulty to defend component for the opposition. Do you agree with that? And if so, do you think that impacts your, your blanket 37%? I think that this is a fantastic point. And the reason why it's a fantastic point is allows me to clarify something specifically about the argument. And the argument is that we are discussing the quarterback position as a whole. We're talking discussing the quarterback position in theory. We're not discussing a particular quarterback because one of the assumptions that is made based on this particular discussion and based on the 37% is that your run to pass ratio is 60 to 40. So that's one of the things that was initially part of the discussion is that your run to pass ratio is 60 to 40. Well, if your run pass ratio is 65 to 35, that changes things because that changes the math. We're talking about the quarterback in general, the quarterback position in general, and we're assuming a 60-40 pass split. Last year, the Bills did not have a 60-40 pass split. There's plenty of teams that don't have a 60-40 pass split. If you have Derrick Henry and Ryan Tannehill, 
then you're going to run the ball with power and you're going to play action off that. And you're probably not going to have a 60-40 pass split very often. So different quarterbacks can affect the game differently. But that doesn't mean that that one individual quarterback is having a larger share. What it means is that that quarterback is having a larger share because their situation is different and they are tasked with carrying more than the quarterback position archetype that I built that ended up coming out in 37%. So we give the quarterback in this scenario, it's important to note that we gave them 100% of the credit for execution on all pass plays. That's really important. We didn't give them a ton of percentage on the run plays, but we gave them in my 37%. I gave the quarterback 100% of the credit for all success in passing, which is not true. We, but we all know that's not true. Now it's the overwhelming majority. I think of the success of a pass game goes to the quarterback. And one of the things I really enjoy about this particular, you know, advent of statistical analysis is that we've come to realize that sacks are a lot more of a quarterback stat than we think they are. I agree. You know, and so that's part of that quarterback has a lot of impact on that, but he's not the only sole proprietor of passing success. You know, if that was the case, drop rate wouldn't even be measured. If that was the case, we wouldn't even bother to invest anything in offensive linemen or wide receivers because 100% of that would be on the quarterback. But we still invest significant cap dollars in a left tackle and a center, and we invest high picks on left guards if they're good enough from Notre Dame and they'll mess you up. And we invest high picks and big money in wide receivers because we know as a culture with football that quarterbacks don't have 100% of the credit for all execution of pass plays yet in order to be generous and to accommodate for things like you just talked about, I gave him a hundred percent of the success of the pass plays. We went to 45% for offense. We said 60% of that's 27%. All of it goes to the quarterback. And I think that that's more than enough buffer zone and more than enough margin of error to be able to accommodate for this. I want to skip B for now on our outline, Bruce, and I would like to go to C and D because I think the way you answered A uh, bleeds into C and D, and then B is kind of a very practical application. So uh, the point I want to get to here is that you did say in your podcast that um, that uh, quarterback wins, if you were to attribute them to quarterbacks, it wins as a quarterback stat. It assigns a level of intangibles to a quarterback that overstates their value, and you got into some great examples about uh, guys like Tim Tebow and and that it's not just leadership. And then you took it to another good place with Aaron Rodgers and how nobody really raves about that guy's leadership, but we all know that he's a great quarterback and he's got a great win loss record in the NFL. Um, And so because of the variance there, I think we can agree to some extent that Different quarterbacks impact that 37% differently. But do you think that this is, uh, you're, you're kind of going to go back to the same point you made there with our last talking point and that you believe that you've you've covered that discrepancy um, in the ways that you've already stated? Yeah, that's exactly what it is. And because I think those things matter. And I want to be very, very clear about that. I do think leadership matters. We have all been part of organizations in the past in our personal lives. And we've seen organizations in our professional sports fandom that 
have good leadership and ones that have bad leadership. And leadership does matter. Those intangibles do matter. They're, however, completely incapable of being quantified. So what I have to do is I have to create a boundary for them. I have to create a a bumper to account for them. And I do that by rounding up all of my other stuff to be able to account. I wasn't generous because I wanted to make sure I was taking a more, uh, a, a taking the wind out of the sails of someone who would argue against me. I was generous because they are simply saying things that I need to account for that are completely incapable of being quantified any other way other than just throwing a number in there, making sure we round up and recognize that these things are real. They exist. Leadership does have an impact. Now, we know from the examples I laid out that this doesn't have a massive impact because the number one thing that impacts whether or not you're going to win or lose, the biggest piece is quarterback play. And of that quarterback play, the biggest piece of that is actually, you know, playing quarterback, not being a good leader. And we know this from people like Ben Roethlisberger. We know this from people like Aaron Rodgers. And we know that if you are a good quarterback and you can throw the ball accurately on time with velocity and accuracy, that your teammates will let it slide that you're not a good leader because they want to win games and they want to get paid and they want to win. They want to enjoy their job and be successful and win. And so we know that those things are true. However, I'm completely incapable of accounting for that with specifically these numbers. So what I have to do is I have to build margins for error into the model to make sure I'm accounting for it. And that's what I think I did. Yeah. All right. So, uh, Good explanation there. The next point I want to get into is that rooted in the center of game plans and in-game decisions that coaches make is the quarterback that you have, and it is the quarterback that you're facing. You may be more aggressive based on who the quarterback you have is and who the quarterback you're facing is. You may choose to kick a field goal or not. You may choose to go for it on fourth done. You may choose to do a surprise onside kick. There's so many different things that weighing on the coach's mind is my belief in that quarterback. My belief to trust the analytics in this situation could be because I believe in the quarterback or I know who the other team has at quarterback with that information. Do you feel like, again, you've built in enough to accommodate for that? Or do you think that impacts your 37%? No, it does not impact my 37%, but not because I didn't, not because I built in for it because I didn't build in for it. The way I think this is accommodated for is my discussion previously that this is based on 60-40. So if you trust your quarterback, what you're going to do is think about this logically. So if you are if you trust your quarterback, then that means you're going to make decisions that will result in your quarterback playing more snaps. And if your quarterback plays more snaps, then that 37% is obviously going to increase because instead of being 45-45-10, it will be 48-42-10 or so on and so forth. So it will impact 37%. It will make it higher in those cases, but it won't make it higher because I didn't account for it. It will make it higher because the base numbers that were utilized originally to come up with the 37% were based on a standard archetype. And that archetype has now been adjusted by the fact that you've given your quarterback more opportunities. I'll give you a great example. If you go for it in the two minute drill, because you believe in your quarterback's ability to go and go and get some score, score some points. Your quarterback's going to have a higher snap count now, and he's going to higher amount of passes thrown now, which is going to skew the 45-45 in the favor of something different, which means your quarterback will then have more snaps and they will therefore have more effect on the game. So 
The 37% still stands as a general archetype. However, this is an absolutely fantastic point because if you have a an adjustment game by game where you have a quarterback that you want to have more effect on the on the game, you will then allow him to have more effect than this standard archetype would allow. Bruce, the last thing I, I want to get into here is uh, a tweet that Kevin Masser put out. And um, I'll read you the tweet. It's about the Buffalo Bills. He said, the Bills are 15 and 9 in games Josh Allen starts and finishes. They are conversely 1 and 7 in games that he does not. Same team, same defense, same weapons. And so I think very heavily on those two games that Josh Allen did not, or what, well, I guess three games. There's three games that he started and did not finish. One of them being week 17 against the Jets where the Bills could not improve their playoff seating. The other ones being in 2018, the Houston Texans game. I will stand on tables and break windows to let you know that I think that if Josh Allen finishes that Houston game, that the Bills beat the Texans that day. And um, I think that they have a greater chance of beating the New England Patriots in week four, the game we've already kind of talked about in this game, if he finishes that game and Matt Barkley doesn't have to pass the ball 16 different times. So I want to know specifically how you address that information. I think that's, I think that's great information. And I think it is absolutely indicative of the fact that the quarterback is the biggest piece of whether or not you win and lose. I think that going from a 12.5% winning percentage to a 62.5 winning percentage when you're starting and preferred quarterback starts and finishes a game is valuable. And this is very much, very much lined up with my argument because if a quarterback has as a general rule, right, as a base number that is then modified by game plan, if that's the case, which we established it would be, if you give your quarterback more opportunities, it'd be higher than 37%. If it's less opportunities, it'd be less than 37%. There are some game plans that revolve around not letting your quarterback screw it up, right? We're going to run the ball 40 times and take the ball out of our quarterback's hands. In those games and in those situations, the quarterback had less than 37% of an impact on the game. If you have that base 37%, and that 37% goes from being occupied by Patrick Mahomes to being occupied by Nathan Peterman, your chances of winning that game go way down. If you go into, I, 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 I talk about it like this. If you go into a test, an academic test, scale zero to 100, you're going to take 100 questions. If you go into a test and you have a 37-point curve, your chances of getting an A on that test are a lot different than if you have a one-point curve. With all the questions being the same and your skill set being the same, and that's the difference between having someone like Patrick Mahomes as your quarterback and having someone like Nathan Peterman. It's not how much percentage it is. It's of that percentage, how much of it's good. So if you have 37% and that part's occupied by Patrick Mahomes, that's pretty good. That's a big part. That is over a third of the entire reason why you'd win and lose a game that is locked up and positive. Whereas if you swap that same person out, one person, with Nathan Peterman, now all of a sudden, it's going to take a lot more for you to win that game. And the drop-off from Josh Allen and Matt Barkley is not the same as the drop-off from Patrick Mahomes as Nathan Peterman, but it's pretty significant. I don't think that anybody in their right mind at this point would argue that Matt Barkley is even close to being as impactful on winning and losing games as Josh Allen is. 
And I think that this is a great example of why we need to upgrade our, our upgrade our backup quarterback because Josh Allen might not finish and start and finish all the games you would like him to over the course of the year. And if the difference between when we have Josh Allen, we don't have Josh Allen is that stark that might speak more to our backup quarterback situation than anything else. Bruce, it sounds like at the end of our discussion here that not only did you not change your mind at all in terms of coming off of 37%, that you actually feel better about it. Am I right? (laughs) I do feel better about it. I will say that the game plan point that you made made me open my eyes to the fact that game plan adjustments can raise and lower that number based on how much control the offensive coaches, specifically the head coach and the offensive coordinator, would like the quarterback to have. So I don't think that I necessarily came off the 37%, but instead what I've done is I've created in my mind a spectrum of lower than 37% up to what I would believe, what I would argue is a reasonable median, which would be 37%, up from there as well, knowing that if you have a quarterback who you're confident in, in a dome with everything going your way and everyone healthy and all your offensive line doing great, you might increase that number a little bit. Now, all of a sudden for that game, maybe they have a 42% of impact on the game versus the snow game where you want your quarterback to throw two passes and you go, you know what? We're just, just don't screw it up. And in that case, the quarterback might have 5% of the impact on a game. I think that there is a, 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 a spectrum there that I had not considered until you made the comment about the game plan. And I got the notes and I was like, huh, game plan variance. Sometimes you don't want your quarterback to have a significant impact. And sometimes you want them to have more of it based on your situation. So what I need to do is I need to create some variables built in there that would create a spectrum for quarterback impact. Right. I mean, if let's assume the Patriots never signed Cam Newton and Jarrett Stidham's their starting quarterback this year, I think Bill Belichick would not want to have 30, 37% of the uh, credit for wins and losses going to Jarrett Stidham. Whereas you think about a quarterback like Russell Wilson, who I would argue uh, the Seahawks have built very poorly around him, mm-hmm. uh, he is responsible for perhaps greater than 37%. But uh, I I can tell you that I appreciate this discussion and, and the opportunity to kind of let you know what I was thinking about as I listened to the podcast last week. And um, I feel better about your 37%. I think where I'm going to have to get hung up a little bit and spend some time thinking is that, do I agree with you that the situational impact bleeds evenly? Um, because if, if the quarterback is if if we agree that it is 37%, then I don't know that the, the, the bleeding can happen evenly. So I'll need to spend some time thinking about that, but uh, I appreciate how, you know, I think a, a podcast that you were very excited about that I believe is a signature piece of work for you. I think, I, and and hope you agree that this gave us a, a chance to really flesh it out and um, hit this thing from every angle. You gave me an opportunity to talk about this twice instead of once. So if you'd like to come back on tomorrow, we can talk about it. I know Mrs. Nolan is tomorrow, so I'm not going to get away of that. So yes, Mrs. Nolan is tomorrow and that'll be, that'll be a a great time. She was a, she was a great sport about it. And uh, my dog just barked in the background. So apparently he wants to be, uh, wants to be part of this as well. Joe, thank you so much. 
I really appreciate you being on. I really appreciate you taking the time um, to take time out of your day and out of your work to be able to come on this pod and to be able to appropriately challenge my line of thinking that would force me to go, okay, do I, do I believe this? Oh, fun little story. While we're here, there was going to be another myth that I was going to do. And I sat down and researched it and realized I was wrong. And I was going to tell everybody what it was, and I'm going to tell them right now because it happens to go along with challenging your thinking. And that was that there wasn't a correlation between success rate of short yardage and goal line backs and size. I didn't think there was going to be a correlation. There totally is. There totally was a correlation when I started looking up success rate for short yardage and goal line running backs and their size. There was a correlation there. And I was like, oh, I guess I'm wrong. Is the sample size big enough? The sample size wasn't huge, but it was enough for me to not feel comfortable staking it in the ground saying there's no correlation because that was going to be the the myth. The myth was there's correlation, which means that my counterpoint has to be there's no correlation. And there is a correlation. Now, we can argue whether or not there's a causation, but it was enough to defeat my, my statement. It would have forced me to dig into why they were successful. And I wasn't going to be able to do it statistically without film usage, which is not good for me to do via an audio medium. So I dug into it and I was like, this isn't, um, this isn't what I wanted it. Latavius Murray was right there at the top. And I was like, Oh, oh. we're off to a bad start. <laughs> and then I started going through and I was like, Nope, we're off to a really bad start. Abort, 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 Bruce. Mistakes well, were made. Be- Everyone should be very happy that Zach Moss is now a member of the Buffalo Bills based on your inability to bust that myth. Absolutely, they should. Joe, thank you so much for being here. Ladies and gentlemen, that's going to be everything for us because that's the way the cookie crumbles. I'm Bruce Nolan, Buffalo Rumblings. Buffalo Rumblings.